welcome to the Cravecast. I'm your host, Eric Mack, live from sunny Taos, New Mexico. And joining me live in the CNET studios in San Francisco are Kelsey Adams, Jeff Sparkman, and behind the controls, Stephen Beecham. And also, in the flesh there in the studio for the first time, crisscrossing the continent in the name of all that is geeky and just is Michael Franco. Yay. How's everyone doing? Yay. All right, good. Uh, we also have uh, one more very special guest joining us uh, live via Skype from somewhere on the campaign trail is the transhumanist party candidate for president of these United States, Zoltan Istvan. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Hey. Hi, thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we're going to be talking to, to Zoltan here for a little bit. We're also going to do our year in review, the geeky year in review for 2015 in the second half of the show. Uh, if you have any uh, questions for uh, for us or for Zoltan, uh, you can tweet them at me at uh, Eric C. Mack and at Crave. And also join us in the YouTube chat room. Uh, I believe we're at uh, YouTube dot uh, com slash cnet you can get to us uh, through there and then also on live stream as well there's a couple of chat rooms going so feel free to join the discussion and throw a question our way um and first uh, zoltan let's start with you um tell us you're you've been on the road i think for a few months now uh try driving across the south in a uh, a big coffin uh ex- explain that to me Sure. Well, um, I um, am driving a, a 40-foot coffin across the country as part of my uh, United States presidential campaign for the Transhumanist Party. And, um, you know, w- one of our main goals is to try to overcome death using science and technology. And so a coffin is a very provocative symbol. And everywhere we go, people ask questions and uh, w- I want to come on board and say, why are you driving this wacky bus around? And, uh, you know, it's it's been a really interesting experience because... People, you know, a coffin is a kind of a uh, controversial symbol. So it's, it's worked really well for getting some attention to our campaign. And what's the response been so far on the road? Well, the response has been very different depending on which state we went into. You know, uh, we just went through the South. And, of course, uh, uh, when you talk about conquering death, there's uh, um, they're like, well, why do you want to conquer? We already have eternal life, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're religious. But parts of, uh, you know, California and now the East Coast, especially Florida, have been much more embracing of life extension technologies and also weird, you know, weird uh, technology ideas like, you know, we have a robot on board. We have Google Glass. We have drones. We have all sorts of bizarre little things. So the reception has really been different all across the country. But generally speaking, we have had only uh, welcome arms wherever we went. Could I, could I ask, the curtains look exactly, I'm, I'm not derailing, I swear, exactly <laughs> like the ones we had when I was a very small child. Is this sort of a very old bus? You, you seem to have a futurist leaning. Well, so, you know, of course, uh, I, my campaign is on a budget. <laughs> it's, a, it's a budget that is, uh, you know, pretty small compared to other presidential candidates in the bus was also on a budget. And so we were able to afford a 1978 bus. So it comes, it's totally original. And yes, it's orange curtains and it's uh, uh, orange carpet. And it's very decked out like you would think the 70s would be like. We put up a disco ball sometimes and dance and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. But, you know, in all honesty, it's, it's very old and everything's breaking down. In fact, we just discovered a new oil leak today. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the age of it is, is, is certainly one factor. And for a futurist, it's a little bit strange to be driving such an old bus. But uh, the juxtaposition of those two uh, things mm-hmm. has, been, has been quite fun on the road, too. So you pull out the drones and, the, and things and you show this to people when they come up and talk to you? Yeah, yeah. So we have a four-foot robot on board. Um, 
And uh, it's, it's very interesting because it does like a thousand different things. And so we can bring on people and a lot of them have never seen such technology. And um, yeah, they never realize that drones are just about the size of your fist these days. You can, I mean, there's a lot of different sizes and we show them all sorts of things, but we also talk about our political platform. And, you know, the main goal of the coffin bus is to drive from San Francisco where I live to Washington, D.C. to deliver a transhumanist bill of rights, which we're going to be doing in a couple of days. We're at the very end of our journey. And the Transhumanist Bill of Rights is just this uh, idea that we're trying to get the government to spend a lot more money on life extension, science, and technologies instead of wars and uh, other things that we think are not as important as living indefinitely. And, and so what is the, you know, when you dig into the specifics, because you and I uh, talked for, for quite a while, uh, a few months ago, uh, and, and the interesting thing about your, your platform is uh, I, I think it might um, sound crazier than it is to a lot of people because there's a lot, a lot of stuff in there about, you know, just basically improving health care. You know, sorry, Eric, you broke up a little bit there at the, at the very end and I missed I, I just wonder what the response is when you dig into your platform because a lot of it just has to do with uh, you know improving healthcare for people. What's the response when you really get into the details? Sure, sure. Well, you know, we were just talking about this earlier. It really, honestly, seems like the younger generation, everyone young we meet, when we talk about improving healthcare, living indefinitely, they seem to be on board. Whether they're conservative, whether they're liberal, whether they're religious, whether they're not. Um, generally, the millennial generation is just like this is great. Um, the older people that we've met. Um, really seem to be like, well, we're, we're not sure we want that. And, you know, I don't know if I want to live forever because I'm already old and I'm kind of feeling bothered by life and whatever. So the reaction to, to our kind of campaign of spending a huge amount of money on health care uh, and, and as opposed to, you know, wars and other things like that has definitely been mixed. Um, most people are so interested in taxes and Social Security and just, you know, uh, foreign policy that it's been hard to say, Look, this is a campaign about improving your health. This is a campaign about trying to make it so you don't ever have to die. You don't ever have to experience tragedy. But unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes I got to be honest, it does fall in deaf ears. And it has been a bit of a, a challenge to get people to really um, to hear the message and say, wow, this could be something for our country to really embrace. Isn't there a population growth issue? I'm sorry if that's a really basic transhumanist question. No. And, you know, I've got to be honest, it's the number one question we get asked all the time. It's, it's this idea that, well, if everyone lives indefinitely, what's going to happen to the world's population? It's already, you know, so high. And certainly uh, the, the earth has been damaged by overpopulation. And our Transhumanist Party and my own campaign believe in global warming. We believe that, you know, people are doing bad things to the earth and we'd like them to stop that. So we try to tell people though, that the earth can actually handle a lot more people. Um, maybe double its amount. But the thing is, the resources have to be distributed differently. Mm -hmm. And we also, in the, our main kind of environmental platform is to come up with mega engineering projects where we would, um, you know, develop technologies to solve issues. For example, with the ozone layer, you know, I know we're depleting it, but maybe we could fill it with something. And the other idea is, well, maybe we could also just cure cancer. If we spend a trillion dollars trying to cure cancer, maybe we wouldn't worry so much about those kinds of things. So um, the Transhumanist Party and my platform really support these kinds of endeavors but we're certainly also very conscious that reducing the carbon footprint is something that's important. But it's, it's really tough when it comes to overpopulation because there's no way that you would want to tell um, you know, anyone that, hey, we, we can't continue growing because these are families and people don't want to stop having families. So um, what would be – I sort of feel like I'm at a town hall meeting, but uh, what would be your top uh, maybe three – projects that you would fund or, or resources you would marshal to, to move towards this goal of, of people living forever? 
Well, sure. I think the, you know, one of our main goals and our kind of singular platform is we would like to dedicate $1 trillion to the field of life extension. You know, the Iraq war was $6 trillion or something like that. And um, we would just say, look, defense spending in this country is right now about 20% of the GDP. And the, the science and technology budget is about 2%. So that's in a crazy you know, discrepancy. We want to make that a lot more even. And what we'd like to do is if we didn't make it even is put a trillion dollars directly towards your health. So I specifically would like to embrace projects like an artificial heart. I would love to embrace projects like um, biohacking or uh, bionics to eventually replace limbs and become a bit more machine-like, a, a bit stronger of a species. And I think we'd also like to spend a lot more money on stem cells. And, um, and kind of, you know, as controversial as it is, I'd also like to spend a lot of uh, money on gene therapy because I think there's a possibility we might be able to you know, wipe out hereditary diseases and Alzheimer's and things like that before we're even born. So um, this, is, this is the kind of places where we would put the money. That's good. I read an article that you were talking about uh, microchipping Syrian yeah. refugees. Are you, are you for microchipping all the human race or just Syrian refugees? Well, so this is such a controversial question. One of the reasons, just you know, full disclosure, I came up with the, Syrian, the chipping of Syrian refugees is because it seems like right now, based on the House vote, America's not going to let in these refugees. I mean, Germany's letting in literally like, you know, 50 times the amount we are. So this was a, a, a way to try to get the right and the left to maybe find a medium ground so that we could let in people that are coming from war zones. And I've been to war zones, covered them as a, as a journalist. And uh, I can tell you, um, having a child and a mother or something like this, living in a, a building that's been bombed out, we must do better than that. We actually, as humanitarians, as transhumanitarians, we need to find a place so everyone in the planet can live somewhere, somewhere safely. But I do advocate for chipping everyone. Um, I think in the future, everyone's going to be chipped. I have one right here in my hand. I'm, you know, the Syrian refugee thing was, of course, that would be something that would be mandated in order to get into the country. And it wouldn't be, again, forever. It would just be for a few years to make sure um, that they're safe and we keep terrorism out. But I think in the future, everyone's going to want to have microchips. I was just at the airport and it's like, I lost my paper ticket and then I had to go get it on my phone and it didn't work. And also I'm like, you know, if I just had it in my hand and I could swipe it, it would be so simple. It'd be like my ID, everything right there. And the same thing. I just went to Starbucks, got a coffee, had to dig out my credit card. The credit card machine didn't work somewhere. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, a chip would be a lot simpler and all these things. So I'm a big believer in the next five and 10 years. Many, many people will get them for just convenience reasons alone. Now, some privacy issues there, obviously. You know, so we're going to be looking at our, our favorite science stories of the year. I wonder if, if you had a, a favorite advance, uh, technological or science, uh, this year that w most interested you from the past 12 months. Sure. Well, um, you know, God, there's been so many amazing stories. But uh, I used to be a swimmer and a water polo player. And one of the favorite stories that came out this year was this idea that you could have compressed oxygen in a tube. And they would give it to people that are drowned victims and um, all of a sudden apply it so that this auction would go through your system very quickly. And um, I thought for competition and sporting, like swimming events, this would be amazing. I mean, you could free dive for a half hour underwater. And I've been a diver, scuba diver my whole life. So these, that was one story that really has resonated with me. And I look forward to those kinds of, uh, you know, those kinds of technologies changing what it means to be a human being. And they're just also really fun. Are you coming up against a lot of technophobia out there? You know, when you talk about microchipping people or microchipping everyone and... and um like Kelsey said, there are some privacy issues with that. Are, are you finding that people are resistant to the idea or, or more open than we'd suspect? Yeah, indeed. I'm finding a lot of resistance to the microchipping. And, um, and I've talked to Eric about this before, too, is 
generally in the South, um, microchip is really the, I hate to say it, but the mark of the beast from a religious perspective. And um, they see it as something that's kind of fulfilling a, a biblical prophecy. And most people on the East and West Coast don't think like that, but uh, in, in huge parts of the country do. And every time I, it's like a conversation was going good. It was going great. I was telling them about technology. Everyone loves robots. And all of a sudden I talk about microchipping and wow, the atmosphere, the energy and any conversation changes in certain parts of the country. I was on the Alex Jones show, uh, you know, part of our, our tour, we stopped in Austin, Texas and Alex Jones, uh, the show had us on for a 45 minute interview. And all they wanted to talk about was microchipping. They were so worried about it. And, uh, you know, transhumanism is bringing so many wonderful technologies. We're curing blind or, you know, uh, bringing microchips in, into the optical nerves so blind people can see cochlear implants and all these other things. And those are the things that I like to focus on. Or, you know, I have a, a, a five-year-old daughter who's just started public school. Now, she's not chipped, but I have said, you know, it would be nice to know always where she is. She's a, you know, there are certain security measures that would be nice to have. But when you talk about this, people freak out. And I, I wish, and I'm hoping over the next few years, as media talks a little bit more about chips, people will start to grow accustomed to it. Because I think if you had told everyone 20 years ago we'd all be holding cell phones in our pocket and sleeping right next to them, people would have said, no way. But look, we're all doing it now, and I think we've grown, grown quite well used to that. So what is the chip in your hand? What, it, what does it do for you? What is, it, what is the benefit? Well, right now, the chip, the version I have, is not very sophisticated. I think in a few months, the next generation one is coming out. It's just an, it's an NFC uh, RFID chip. And so you can do things like if someone you want to give your business card to someone, you can scan your hand on their phone, and it'll just immediately transfer your business card to them. You can also start your bus with it if you have the right software and application. You just wave your hand by it. You can get into all the security systems that you want. For example, if, if the CNET building has some kind of security system, you can just swipe your hand and get into it once you've programmed it. So it, it enables a huge amount of convenience. But the thing I really want is I want my credit card tied to my hand. Because if you think about the amount of times a day that you pay for something, it would be so much easier than having to lug around a purse. And also, um, you know, it carries all your medical information. So if you know, you get an emergency and they need to know your blood type or they need to know that you're allergic to uh, Advil or aspirin or something like that, then it will uh, notify them immediately. Cool. So we, we actually lost our host, Eric, for a second. He, he <laughs> dropped off of Skype. It's happened before. So. Actually, the, the entire broadcast has been starting over a couple of times while I was watching on the live stream. Page, I know, because so our internet in this building is just not but, working. But you did get that all on tape, right? Because that was fascinating. This yeah, has been a really great yeah. conversation. Definitely. So we're trying to get Eric back, but our internet is not working in this building because there's construction going on, which is fun. So, I, yeah, that's what's happening. You guys have any more questions for Mr. Um, Hitzbaum? So just on the off chance that you don't win the presidential election, <laughs> what, um, what, what are your plans after, after the election's over? Do, do you think you'd run again in four years and just try to build up momentum? or What, what, what do you think so, you're going to do? You know... Um, it's a very interesting question I've been thinking a lot about. i got to say, we have some sort of big news. I'm not sure if it's big news. You never know how these things work. But we have been approached by a major uh, television uh, conglomerate, Lionsgate, and we have signed to try to make a reality TV show out of the bus. <laughs> if everything went well, we would be filming in sometime April or May. Uh, again, these things are all, you never know how these things unfold, whether they actually make airtime or not and stuff like that. But I'm excited because we would do a, probably a six to eight part uh, series, TV series. That would then, um, you know, air somewhere. And so I would be traveling around the country on this bus with a lot more organization. You know, I'm understaffed. Everyone's volunteer right now. But we might have some real guns and money and things like that put to the, uh, the power of this immortality bus. 
uh, and we could also fix the oil leaks. And uh, we lost our uh, our fan belt a while back, so uh, the bus always overheats. Uh, keeping the bus going, the immortality bus going, has been a been a big, pretty big challenge. But that's what I'm hoping to be doing in about six months' time is um, doing a series like that. And of course, I'll try to probably write a book on my experiences crossing the country because we've gone, you know, so many different places. We went to Alcor, we went to Terrasem two days ago, which is kind of spirituality, transhumanism. And, uh, you know, we've just gone all over the place. So I think there's a lot to write about. And I'll definitely be looking forward to putting out a book about it. Where do your volunteers come from? Seems like I'm just wondering what kinds of groups. Well, most of them are actually transhumanists and they're transhumanists from social media that I've met. But, you know, of course, I live in San Francisco, so we have a broad base of people. Mm -hmm. And um, nobody's full time doing volunteers, but everyone, except for Rowan, who you might have seen in the back. Um, He's uh, in the... um, camera and uh there he is and um you know everyone's been contributing a little bit and helping us uh like i said one of the things about my campaign is i don't take donations um i'm just i'm trying to make a stand against uh uh, campaign finance reform to change it so this has been my way of doing it and so uh everyone's just helping out and so we have about 50 volunteers scattered some do an hour a week some do five hours a week some do even less so it's really a matter of, uh, you know, just kind of getting everyone coordinated. And we've been trying to have everyone on the bus, too, to help out and just have a lot of fun. Cool. Anybody else have any questions? Um, I had the, a chance to interview Neil Harbison. Do you know him? He's um, a cyborg. I believe he lives in Spain. He, he has a, um, a condition that where, where he can only see in black and white, and he wound up having a antenna developed form that he wears out at the top of his head and it translates color into sound so he can see sound and one of the things his institute is doing is advocating for cyborg rights and i wonder if that um is part of your platform or something you've thought about as we start to wear more technology and have more technology um built into our bodies it seems yes. like you know we're, we might need legislation to keep track with that and and you know he's been discriminated against he's not been allowed into movie theaters because they've been afraid that he's going to record the film and things like that so um it seems like it, it fits well with, with what you're talking about. No, it does. And we just actually did one of our last stories was so fascinating. So we um, picked up an African-American transhumanist, Matreo One, who's a hip hop artist in Harlem. And he actually took a Greyhound bus down. And then we um, picked him up at, in Montgomery, Alabama, at the Freedom Riders kind of museum area. And then we actually parked our bus in front of Freedom Riders. Now, of course, back in the 50, 60 years ago, they were fighting for civil rights. We brought Matreya on as kind of that person who would help us transition to the new era of civil rights. And I'm a big believer that the next 10 years is going to have a lot of battles about, um, about cyborg and transhumanist rights. It's why we're trying to deliver a transhumanist bill of rights to be kind of initiate that conversation because you can already see it with designer babies. You know, do we augment mm-hmm. intelligence of our children? But what if China does it first and we choose not to? We don't want a scenario where like George W. Bush um, would stop stem cell funding for almost, you know, seven, eight years. We want to embrace these things. But of course, many people across the country won't. So we had this really fun, um, you know, kind of event at the Freedom Riders Museum where we sort of discussed uh, civil rights versus cyborg rights. What are the comparisons and where are we going in the future? And it was really fun. And, and yeah, we're going to have a great video coming out about that soon. And, you know, having Matreya explain it also because he, he's kind of a hip hop artist living in Harlem really, you know, made the connection for. So I, I, I'm a big believer that cyber rights are incredibly important. The idea of, you know, here we are dealing with um, LGBT issues, which, of course, the Transhumanist Party completely supports. Um, 
But the idea is we're going to go even beyond that. I mean, will some people be male and female? Will some people be non-gender at all? Maybe a lot of people will be non-gender. We're going beyond an age when maybe biological sex won't even be happening. Maybe kids won't have, won't happen because we'll uh, have, you know, won't want to in the virtual world. And there's also the idea of ectogenesis or artificial wombs. The era that we're coming into of transhumanist rights, cyborg rights, is filled with landmines, but it's also filled with so much promise. And of course, a huge amount of what I'm trying to do is just tell people about it because the worst thing we can do is turn our back to it and not talk about it. The very best thing we can do is start to explore it now. And hopefully by exploring it, we will find a path that is absolutely nonviolent and absolutely leads people to find exactly what they want out of, uh, out of the future and out of their life now. I think we got Eric back, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, sorry about that. I'm having all kinds of connection problems. But uh, it, you know, if you can if you can hear me, Zoltana, I'm curious to to kind of wrap things up. Uh, I, I think you know you're actually a character in the uh, the crowd <laughs> crowdsourced uh, sci-fi novel uh, that uh, we wrote with our our readers here over the last month. It's actually st- we're still putting the finishing touches on it, um, a- a- including kind of the role that you're going to play. A- and so, you know, it takes place around 2050. Uh, where we have a, a transhumanist president, uh, and so I wonder what you think twenty fifty might look like. Oh, he's frozen. Oh no, <laughs> he's a cyborg and he's frozen. Twenty fifty will have have better video he just calls. Instantly uh, leaped. I, I think is the most important. <laughs> yeah. oh, let's yeah. go check. I'll yeah. be right back. I'll tell you. <laughs> is that him calling back in from the future? Yeah, sorry everyone. We've having we're having construction. Yesterday the the Ethernet was just off. It yeah. didn't even work in the building. So um you know, we're having internet connection issues here. But here, Hi, he's back. We got him back. I'm sorry, Mr. Call. Oh, you can leave your name. This is voicemail. <laughs> so that's what it'll be like in twenty fifty, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um well we'll try to get him back in and while we're working on that, uh, maybe we can go ahead and dig into uh, our our year in review. Um Am I am I still coming through okay or am I am I freezing? Yeah, you're too? fine. You're fine. Okay. Um, so uh, you know, a couple of the some of the biggest stories this year that we covered had to do with space, and I think uh, probably the biggest one of all it would be the the New Horizons flyby of Pluto, which was something that was almost a, a decade in the making, uh, and then it, it finally happened uh, in July. And the science is actually still coming back; uh, like new data dumps every week come back with crazy videos. Uh, and it's really interesting because I think uh, Pluto turned out to be a lot weirder and more interesting than we probably thought. I mean, for for decades, you learn about Pluto and usually it's just kind of this blue dot on uh, a diagram of the solar system. And then it got knocked off that diagram altogether when it was, <laughs> uh, you know, pr- demoted from being a planet. Um, but, you know, over the course of the last few months, we've, we've learned that uh, of all the weird things, uh, Pluto might actually have blue skies. If you're standing on the surface of Pluto, you might see a blue sky. Um, it's uh, it has it's very kind of colorful compared to, I think, what we imagined. Uh, it has this uh, like a heart shaped yeah. um, feature. It's kind of like the Great Plains of Pluto are, are, are in the shape of a heart. And then, you know, surrounding at least one edge of that, you have water, ice mountains basically massive glaciers uh and and there might actually be ice volcanoes uh it's possible that the the center or the subsurface part of uh, pluto is actually warmed by like nuclear radiation like radioactive decay and that's causing perhaps cryovolcanoes i mean it's really crazy stuff um 
Uh, what I mean, have you guys followed? You followed it. I know Michael Franco a little bit. Uh, anything I left out about about Pluto? What kind of caught your eye this year about it? I think the most interesting thing about the Pluto mission was how much it got people energized about NASA again. You know, I, I think it, it was really nice for me to see our readers and even just people I talked to get really, really jazzed about the space program mm. all, all over again. You know, the, the moon landing, you know, a lot of people, that, that's sort of the last time I think that we did something so spectacular. And Pluto, um, I think, re-energized Wonderful. folks about, about astronomy and about NASA so I really enjoyed seeing that. Well, there was a similar wave of enthusiasm for Mars. You remember Mohawk guy? That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Both, both important things. Mm-hmm. And another, so another space story that was uh, was big uh, this year. Very tidily, I think, might have come to something of a conclusion today. Uh, about half an hour before we came on the air here, I published a story on on CNET about those weird spots on on Ceres and Ceres. If you don't know. C-E-R-E-S is a uh, – it's the biggest asteroid, technically a dwarf planet in the asteroid belt. Uh, and we sent uh, – NASA sent a spacecraft there called Dawn and it's been orbiting it since around March. Uh, and, and very quickly as it was approaching Ceres, it found it had these really, really bright spots. I mean they, it, it almost looks like the planet has headlights. Um, uh, just these really bright spots and uh, you know, it, we, we polled our readers and – you know, there were all kinds of, of theories about what it could be, everything from actual headlights on like an alien ship uh, to ice to um, salt. Uh, and today it looks like the latter is probably what it is. There's two studies out in the journal Nature Today um, using NASA data from Dawn. And it looks like those uh, really bright spots like there are basically, uh, in essence, they're Epsom salts or actually salt that's closely related to Epsom salt. So not the most exciting um, discovery, but, uh, you know, it has other implications. You know, that would appear to indicate that uh, suspicions that there is all kinds of frozen water underneath the surface of Ceres are probably true. There's probably a, a huge briny ocean uh, underneath the the surface. Uh, it's probably frozen, but uh, there's probably all kinds of frozen um, salt water beneath this. Uh, perhaps more frozen water inside that planet than all the fresh water on Earth. So, uh, you know, just really kind of interesting to find out what our solar system and the universe is made up of and that's kind of that's been the other interesting trend for me this year in science and space is just the continuing trend that there's water everywhere mm-hmm. uh, you know i mean we used to think that everything was just like dead rocks beyond earth it was all just you know gases and uh, gas giants and basically frozen rocks but it turns out that, you know this year earlier uh we found uh, flowing water on mars kind of uh, intermittent flowing water, uh, again, salt water. Uh, and then we also found that uh, Ganymede, which is the largest moon in the solar system, it also is uh, harboring a subsurface ocean. And so, you know, and then we, we already knew about Ceres. We knew about Europa. Um, that's Ganymede right there, I think. And, uh, and uh, Enceladus, another, another moon of uh, Saturn, uh, it also has water basically shooting out of its south pole, uh, and we we flew the Cassini spacecraft through those plumes uh, about a month and a half ago. So I mean, interestingly, the, they send drones through the, the plumes of solar whales. system, and the universe turns out to be a lot more wet and weird than I think uh, we ever we ever guessed. Hey, uh, by the way, we got Zoltan back. He's back on the line, and he probably wants to leave. Uh, <laughs> hey, Zoltan, <laughs> you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. 
And he's on okay, the he's on a phone Skype now. <laughs> I'm on a phone Skype. Sorry for dropping off. Uh, that's been, it's been the story of the bosses. That's uh, all right. Some things um, work for a while and they break. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, so by I was asking you what you thought 2050 might look like because you're a character in our crowdsourced sci-fi novel set in 2050. Yes, yes, I, I heard the question. And uh, first off, I think it's awesome what you're doing. I, I was just uh, telling some friends about the crowdsourced novel, and I just think it's it's frankly a bit of history, uh, especially as a fiction writer myself. But you know, if you ask me, 2050, I, I, it's it's a bit far out there. And I'm going to say, I think the idea of mind uploading will already exist, and we'll probably have quite a bit of um, our lives totally embedded in the virtual world. I'm not sure that. You know, I'm not going to go out and say half the population will be uploaded yet, but I'm going to say at least uh, 10% of the population would probably have started messing around with mind uploading and trying to find immortality through that. And that's just going to create a huge uh, kind of quandary of what it really means to be alive as a human being. Mm-hmm. And is your virtual self uh, more real than your other self? And, of course, if you get into virtual reality, you create 100 of yourselves. And, you know, so it, you know, what happens then to population? It, it's, it's a whole different ballgame, but... I think by 2050, we'll definitely have that, and I'll be one of those people that's looking forward to it. And, of course, with with that comes artificial intelligence and potentially the singularity. So, you know, <laughs> whether that's even possible to put into a, a novel anymore is has uh, become so uh, quite incredible. But I'm a big believer by then we'll have AI and mind uploading. And you're actually a little bit more cautious about uh, the potential future of, of artificial intelligence than I think a lot of people would guess based on your platform. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I am a little bit more cautious because AI means having an entity uh, that's smarter than us uh, on planet Earth. I'm not sure I really want that. I'm advocating for an artificial intelligence that we would be merged with, um, something that would never be allowed on its own without some type of human, you know, intervention or human connected directly to it, or maybe a group of humans. So there's a whole bunch of things that I would be advocating for like that because. Uh, yeah, we're talking about something that could totally revolutionize, um, you know, planet Earth. And um, I'm not sure I want to take steps that quickly, despite my love of technology. And so, you know, another thing we were talking about in our, our year in review here was uh, was drones. Hey, Michael Franco, why don't you kind of give us a, a quick roundup of, of where drones were this year? Wait, shouldn't we? I'm sorry. Shouldn't we say goodbye to our guest first? He said he wanted to leave and it's been half an hour. Oh, yeah. Do you need to get going, Zoltan? You know, I do. I'm so sorry, okay. but I, 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 I've been so appreciative to have been on your show, and I'm going to uh, perhaps driving. I probably won't watch it while I'm driving, but we are heading <laughs> Please in, don't. heading <laughs> heading into North Carolina. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and thank you so much for having me on, and I'm going to uh, continue to watch this show and uh, uh, wish you guys all the best. It's been really fun to speak to you. Likewise. Thanks. Best yeah, of yeah. luck on the campaign trail. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you very Bye, much. Bye, everyone. So right. drones, I, I think the um, certainly the stories that got the most attention on CNET related to drones were the ones involving drone smackdowns. It, it <laughs> seemed people, people really love to see drones take a dive. And uh, But one of the stories I wrote that, that sort of involved that, that brought up more issues, was the story about the firefighters blasting the, the drone out of the sky with their fire hose. And, and that brought up a lot of um, commentary on who was right and who was wrong there. Were the firefighters in their right to... Uh, to destroy this man's drone, you know that they, they, the firefighters didn't own that piece of property; they didn't own the air, you know, the air around it, and the drone didn't really interfere with what they were doing. It stayed back, you know. They sort of you see them point at it and kind of get the idea to like shoot it with the fire hose. And well, if it was distracting them, that it, counts as which interfering. could be a problem. Absolutely, yeah. So 
Um, it brought up a lot of interesting questions about, you know, who who, ha- who had the right here, and and should the guy be re- reimbursed for his damaged drone, or was he doing something wrong? And th- there's no clear answer. There's there's really people can can fall on both sides of that debate. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot more attention being paid to drone rules and regulations. I don't think that the new FAA need to register your drone is is going to be enough. That's certainly mm. a first step, but that's that's not really making any rules. It's sort of just saying you need to read this little booklet about drone safety and, you know, <laughs> give us your name. So People always read the instruction book. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real interesting overlap between citizen journalism and, you know, invading privacy here. Mm-hmm, Sorry, I'm trying to fast forward to where I see the firefighters spotting the drone now too bad there's wow. no sound on this video yeah <laughs> now did this come because there was another story of of drones actually kind of interfering in one of the wildfires that went across the highway in southern california um did this do you know if this came before or after that mm, i don't know i'm not familiar with the okay. other story I don't remember that one either, Eric. Do you remember? Could you? There was there was a wildfire, and the wildfire uh, it actually burned across um, a highway. It burned uh, it burned some some cars on the interstate, uh, and and some drones. Um, they actually the the emergency responders said they actually were interfering with the with, with the firefighting on, in that incident. So I was just curious if it came before or after that. It was back in July. Hmm. Yeah, I think this was um, after then. I think. And what what what's the other one with? Oh yeah, the one where they delivered a bundle of drugs <laughs> to yeah. the prison guard. <laughs> yeah, you covered that one too. Really, that wasn't yeah. even a unique incident. That's right, it wasn't. I think it was the second time it had <laughs> happened. And yeah, so a drone dropped a bundle of drugs and money, I think, into into in, uh, you know behind the walls of a prison, and chaos ensued. You know, there was just a big riot of people trying to get to that package, and um, you know, so I think drones are just starting to. Like they can be used for good, you know. They can mm-hmm. they can deliver defibrillators to people who need them or people who live in remote locations. But and um, checking out unsafe areas to see if people can go in. Yeah, disaster mm-hmm. yep. relief yep. stuff. So, but like any piece of technology, right? There's there's going to be the uses are as creative as people are. So. There's yeah. always a criminal use. Yeah, yes. yeah. And <laughs> you know, there 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 was a story. I don't know that we covered covered it, but a woman, you know, heard a noise outside her window in the UK and opened the window, and there was a drone lurking out there filming. You know, sp- you know, spying being a peeping Tom drone, you know, mm. so it's, it's going to be interesting. And th- I think there's no stopping the technology now. It's, it's no it, yeah. it, regulating. It is a possibility, but it's, it's unmanned, right? Like, like by mm. its very nature. So it's out there. You might, might not even know who's controlling it. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. In, uh, in 2016, if you buy a drone, you're supposed to register it with the FAA, correct? You, you are. But like so, I was saying, that's, just, that that's just right. That's just registering. <laughs> it's just like giving your name and saying, I own a drone. And yes, I've read the, the little booklet that tells you about safe drone usage. Yeah. Like don't fly it near an airport and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> and, and also uh, tell us about uh, Camp Nerd Fitness. Yes. I know that per- personally for you, that was the big story of 2015. On a yeah. personal level. Yeah, it was. Um, I had found Nerd Fitness earlier in the year, and that's a website um, developed by Steve Cam, who um, sort of found himself playing a lot of video games and not being real active and um, decided that he was going to turn his life into a video game. And he started traveling all over the world, um, doing some crazy things. And, and he built a website called Nerd Fitness all about it and uh, also... Uh, developed a program, developed a group called the Rebellion, um, and you sort of join the Rebellion, and uh, it helps you level up your life by doing different tasks and things like that. And uh, 
this was the second year that he's run this camp and it was in the in northern Georgia and I got to go down there for four nights and uh, I expected it to be kind of goofy fun, but it was really a bit transformative for me. It was such a non-judgmental environment. You know, you go to most gyms or mm. fitness things and it's it's all about, you know, there's a lot of ego there and a, and a lot of showing off and, you know, I've never felt real comfortable in those environments and this was um, completely the opposite and it, what was nice for me was that um, – so there was this sense of not being judged, which was nice. But I got to drop my judgmental side. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I have uh, a lot of that going on in my brain. Um, thanks, Dad. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, after a day or two there, that just dropped away. And it just was really a warm and welcoming environment. I mean, there were moments also where, you know, you get your tray of food and you go sit down and you felt like you were back in high school. But mm-hmm. because everybody was sort of on the same page with that. It was it was cool to just sit down and say, hey, or not. Or you could just sit by yourself and nobody was going to say, oh, look at the loser over there, you know, with this Well, with it's this not so you could hear it, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really loved that. I actually just signed up for next year's oh, nice. uh, Nerd Fitness. Yeah, I'm going to go on my own, not not as part of an article. And um, Steve actually has a book coming out next year called Level Up Your Life, which, mm. which sort of oh, talks nice. about, like, his journey. And um, so far, I st- just started reading it. It's a pretty good book. I do find that games kind of splash back onto my life like that. If you spend a lot of time on the computer or a console, you're not out there moving and so forth. But you're doing things. You're, you're making goals. You're achieving things in your game. And then you start to think, well, wait a minute. I just spent two hours setting up my, my housing space in this MMO maybe I should go do some actual dishes. Is that crazy? Am I being crazy here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steve's point was that he felt sort of a lack of satisfaction in his life and in his job. And he was getting that satisfaction through gaming because you could have epic moments in games mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, to be a hero and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and then like the light bulb went off for him one day and he said, it's, it's gotta be the reverse. My life's gotta be the epic quest and the video games, you know, he still plays video games from time to time, but yeah, it doesn't have to be put either it in or. balance. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to doing that again next year. Sounds like so what about, what about you guys, uh, the, the other three folks there in studio? I wonder what uh, your highlights of 2015 were uh, on the crazy side of things. Sparkman. Oh, <laughs> you're assuming I can remember <laughs> this far back. Uh, he doesn't sleep a lot. I, yeah, I don't sleep a lot a lot, actually. <laughs> Well, like, I mean, like, I feel like I'm kind of on the, the edge of, of cravitude since I'm not always writing. Um, and I'm just kind and of yet like, you epitomize it so well. <laughs> I'm just I'm you know, I'm just I'm just here to look pretty. So um, I don't know. It was, I'm still tripping on on the whole like ice volcanoes thing on Pluto. I mean, that's yeah, how does that work? I know. I'm just like, <laughs> that's like something I want to see in a video game. <laughs> I was getting excited about the um, the space oceans because I'm hoping for giant squid. Oh, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Europa Report style, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think basically the the emphasis on water is people keep looking for water because it's associated with life, right? That's I don't know if we you were doing such a great roundup of all the water we're finding, but that's kind of why people are hung up on that, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think those bright spots on Ceres with the the salt, it's probably salt licks for aliens. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> really really large space deer or something <laughs> i have to say i found the fact that we figured out what those are and they're just salt was pretty disappointing you know the mystery of it was a lot more exciting than yeah the reality well i mean that's it. like you know that's how it usually goes i, I thought yeah. they'd be ice yeah. actually i read a very convincing explanation that they weren't bright at all but it was just a, a matter of sampling and rendering and that makes sense mm. so i think the fact that it is something is great mm. go salt <laughs> yay salt <laughs> 
Well, and what about what we have to look forward to? There are still a few weeks uh, left to go in the year. There's um, I- at least uh, a few movies coming up. I think there's one coming up in like oh a that week I- or that something. indie flick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that small little film. Yeah, uh, yeah. Am I the <laughs> only one who has not one? bought my tickets for it yet? I haven't. I don't know. Okay, good. Yeah. Are you talking about Captain America? Oh, of course we're talking about Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about The Force Awakens? <laughs> yeah, I got my tickets. I got yeah, tickets for the first Captain two nights. Right. So I'm set. I had a lot of highlights this year, but they're all completely wiped from my mind by the existence of the Captain America Civil War trailer. <laughs> which is, that sounds like a segue to me. I was really worried. Well, Beecham started it. I was really worried that this would not live up to the previous movie because I thought Winter Soldier was so good. And then they're trying to cram so much into the Civil War storyline. How could this possibly all fit? But this trailer is really character focused. It really gets all that was important. It doesn't look like it's going to be a big mess. I'm so excited. Also, Black Panther looks really cool. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And it broke a a record, didn't it? It was was the the number one trailer ever, right? It had something like six million views in the first hour. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's the most... Really? I think it's the most widely viewed trailer ever. And only one quarter of those were from me. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say this is one of the most underrated uh, franchises, but but maybe I'm underrating how overrated it is Mm. or something. It's really well... You know, some, sometimes these things are all over the map and inconsistent, but the Captain America movies specifically have had a real arc to it. There's been character development across the movies. You get a sense of actually seeing the same character and that, it, that they're being written by someone who cares about the people involved, I think. Mm-hmm. And they've been hyping it for years and years, even before, you know, just putting the, the his shield in different movies and stuff mm. before. Like, wasn't it in Iron Man? Like, his shield was in the background. So they've been, yeah. they've, they've always had this on the back of their mind, for sure. Yeah, they've definitely built a big interconnecting universe here, which is great. I just saw a guy flying with that. wings. I'm gonna go rewind. That's Falcon, a my boyfriend. Oh, here he goes. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Just people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me too. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, who who has plans for for the Force Awakens? Let's just get right to it. Well, part of my plan is is watching the original trilogy again, and I actually just handed in a story today that should be up on the site, uh, I don't know, today or tomorrow, and about how very disappointed I was going back and watching the very first Star Wars movie. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I have ever seen it twice, um, but probably somewhere in my childhood I did watch it again, but um, it had just grown into this magical, incredible film. I saw it when I was nine the first time, and... Mm-hmm going back and watching it a couple nights ago was so disappointing. Um, and I, I sort of wish I didn't do that. You know, I, I think, um, cause it, it has some really terrible dialogue and, you know, <laughs> I, I, the, the costumes weren't like quite up to snuff and, and, you know, um, and I wasn't looking to be nitpicky. I was looking to fall in love with it all over again. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. didn't, I found the characters kind of annoying and, and, and interestingly, some of the scenes that um, have loomed large in my memory, the, the, the Vader and Obi-Wan lightsaber battle and the, cantina scene like those scenes went on or, or the trash compactor scenes like they went on for a long time mm-hmm. in the in my head in the movie and in reality they're you know they're 30 seconds a minute and a half maybe and you know it's gone so that's that's um, that's a kid's perception basically everything's I, yeah. more intense everything takes yeah. longer we, yep. we really invest in things and yeah yeah, yeah. so i you know in the article I, I sort of said that probably what i'm mourning is my nine-year-old sense of wonder and imagination because the movie didn't change, you know. I clearly have changed. Yeah, I'm sort of like, oh, this is that's interesting. Well, the movie did change because yes. George Lucas, well, yeah, 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 yeah. CGI aside that from that, yeah. watered yeah. it down. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, the only thing I think that is uh, 
drags more than what you're talking about is uh, I went through and I watched all six and we watched them uh, chronologically, canon chronologically. Mm. So we started with episode one uh, with my eight-year-old daughter. Um, Why would you do that to a child? (laughs) You know what? I mean, it was really interesting to take. Let's start off with Tariff. She absolutely loved Jar Jar Binks. Nothing was more funny to her than Jar Jar Binks. And and then she became totally fascinated by the time gap. I, I mean, I, I still hear her talking with all her friends like, did you know that number four is from 1977? Like, their, their mind is blown. <laughs> Sequels and prequels. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing. But uh, episode one, that is that movie is 60% pod race. It, it, yeah. It's oh, just for, crazy. Yeah, yeah, oh, for yeah, reals. Totally. <laughs> Even the so, Lego yeah. game based on it feels like it's like – a lot. <laughs> Can I just say about this tariff thing? People always complain that they shouldn't have started with trade sanctions. That that's somehow uh, inherently uninteresting. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree here. <laughs> that's the, okay. You can be wrong. One of the big questions that I wanted answered in this first movie was: um, we're told in the trilogy that the Jedi were diplomats that they actually helped keep this enormous intergalactic uh, government running. And and that this that the lightsabers were the tool of a more elegant age, a more civilized age. But I mean, so they're martial artists who can chop your limbs off. How does that actually relate to diplomacy? Like I actually wanted to see that happening, and that is what that f- whole first opening of that movie is supposed to do. It shows you, okay, these are Jedi at the height of their powers, doing the thing they're actually useful for, and this is what it looks like. So it's totally welcome to say that that failed, but I don't think it was a bad thing to try. Mm-hmm. I agree. The thing that my kids <laughs> noticed, like after we, because we. I've never actually gone more than a few months without having seen the Star Wars movies. Wow. Like, since, <laughs> like, literally, since I saw them the first time, I've always had them, like, on video, and, and, like, I always end up watching them. So I've never had, like, this giant time stretch where I, you know, can go back and be more objective. Um, that said, I do kind of wonder why, like, the Jedi dress the same as everybody on Tatooine. Like, yeah. Uncle Owen looked like a Jedi. That's a retcon, right? for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, these are not Jedi clothes. This is, like, this is what they wore on Tatooine, because it's hot as balls out there, <laughs> and they want to have robes. So, like, then that became, like, the uniform for Jedi. And even Luke doesn't Retroactively. even... Retroactively. Yeah. Right, right. Luke doesn't even wear Jedi clothes the more he becomes, like, a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Spe- in, in fact, speaking of retcons, um, this thing with... Did who shot first, Han or Greedo? You know, I think that's actually an example of what you're talking about, Michael. Once, once the guy who made this movie was no longer a nine year old himself, <laughs> he stopped understanding what that was about and started needing to rewrite it from, yeah. a, from an adult perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. All right. Well, to, well, to wrap things up because uh, we're out of time here, uh, a, a story I'm working on for later today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a poll, and then you'll have to find the official results on cnet.com/slash/crave. <laughs> but uh, so, so a poll was done. I'm writing up the results. What like toy or gadget from Star Wars would you guys most like to have? Like the lightsaber, the hover bike, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon. What? Oh, so big or small? I mean, it's hard to compare a lightsaber to the Millennium Falcon. I don't know if Falcon was I think of the Millennium Falcon like like the equivalent of like the G.I. Joe uh, aircraft carrier that like that one rich kid got and nobody else got. <laughs> I think Michael's asking, do you mean a full size version or an or just a toy version of it? That is no, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how the the poll was phrased, but I know, I know Death Star was actually one of one of the options you could select. <laughs> Where are you going to keep that? Yeah. <laughs> Take you don't have so a big garage. Two car, two car garage should do it. If I was going to get a Death Star, I'd put in railings at least. 
<laughs> you just don't get the idea, Jeff. I guess not. Death Star, Death Star. Yeah, well, it's not here. Yeah. It's supposed to be the Death Star for other people. Well, I would take a lightsaber in a heartbeat, especially if it came with the cool ability to just reach for it and have it swoop into my hand. I just know I would cut my freaking arms off, like, immediately. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, how's this work? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of some Star Wars-y thing that would, like, I would not kill myself with inadvertently, and uh, kind of not really... Well, it would, carter- it would carterize your wound, so you wouldn't die. Well, yeah, but then <laughs> what am I going to swing the, the thing around with? I got yeah. no arms left. You know? <laughs> Like I'll, or something. I'll, tell, I'll leave you with this. Um, lightsaber is number two. Oh. Survey of 2,000 Americans. Lightsaber was the second most popular uh, Star Wars gadget. Uh, so you will uh, have to find out what number one is a little bit later on. Oh, um, damn you anticipation. That made, you wanna, that made me want to find out. Darn you. Ah. <laughs> it's a deep, deep tease. Um, well, uh, that, that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks for uh, dealing with our, our technical difficulties. Um, I heard about 80% of what everyone else said today. Um, and I think we learned today not to get uh, Jeff Ginsu knives for Christmas. So <laughs> Not again, anyway. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, stay tuned for the next Cravecast in the year 2016. And, of course, all the stories we talked about uh, you can find on CNET.com slash Crave. Uh, check that out and we will talk to you next time for Michael Franco Stephen Beecham Kelsey Adams and Jeff Sparkman get well Bonnie we missed you today see you next time <laughs>